This is a call to those who want incredible success, but do not necessarily want to get filthy rich. You want to help others, be purposeful, and enjoy all life has to offer. Welcome to the Inbound Marketing Revolution. This is Dow of Inbound with Ion Garlic. On today's Dow of Inbound, another fantastic guest. You know, great business background, but one of the most impressive things to me is that six years ago, he went underwent triple bypass heart surgery, completed rehab, and then ran his first 5K 190 days after the surgery. He's completed dozens of 5Ks, lots of running, which it's an impressive feat because it's it's tough to come back from something like that, not only physically, but emotionally and mentally. Um, you know, he says he hasn't been running lately, but I'm sure his back will get better and he will be running soon. Um, within... You know, he's had tons of corporate experience as a division sales manager, promoted quickly to vice president of sales, and you know he's helped build from a $35 million local business to a large wholesale food distributor, and now he's promoting his book, Sales Management for Dummies. I, you know, I think there's a lot of dummies out there that need some help with sales management, so <laughs> Butch, welcome to the show. Butch Bella, is that Ian? You're exactly right. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, sir. So um, tell me, Butch, um, what drew you to sales? Oh, wow. Um, It's all I've ever done. I was uh, always, I I was lucky enough to be uh, blessed with parents that instilled in me at a very early age that I could do anything I really wanted to do. And I can remember Ian uh, getting comic books as a kid and while the other other uh, kids my age were wanting to order the uh, decoder ring and the x-ray vision glasses. I was studying the ads in the back for grit newspaper and Mason shoes. And uh, I can remember thinking, wait a minute, you mean I can buy the grit newspapers for 50 cents, sell them for a dollar, and I get to keep the other 50 cents? And so I've always loved the fact that sales gave me the ability to pretty much write my own paycheck. That's fantastic. But it, it, so it sounds like, you know, I, I was in sales for a long time. I mean, I think every business owner is. I mean, obviously, sure. you know, and if you don't think you're in sales, well, you're lying to yourself. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, a lot of uh, I work with a lot of businesses, at, you know, at our agency and they're like, well, I'm not a salesperson, especially like attorneys. Well, I'm not a salesperson. And first of all, like we said, you know, I'm like, you're lying to yourself. But, you know, a lot of people look at you and they're like, well, Butch is a born salesperson. That guy's a salesperson. I'm not that guy. Is it possible for someone like a lawyer or a doctor or a dentist to become a good salesperson or even train people inside your company to become a good salesperson? Absolutely. And I think an attorney especially needs to be a good If not, they're going to have a lot of clients going to death row uh, because, I mean, you're <laughs> selling that jury. But And in every every business, you're selling. And it, you know, people think that, you know, there, there are born salesmen. And I always like to hark back to what the great Zig Ziglar said that, you know, I've never opened the newspaper and seen an ad where, or a notice where Mr. and Mrs. Smith gave birth to an eight pound, seven ounce salesman. And it just, <laughs> you know, there, there's no, no such thing. Now, are there personality traits that lead people into that field? Probably so. But everything a salesperson does, a professional salesperson is a learned skill. But just like I can't go Monday morning and, and start trying cases, 
an attorney can't walk in Monday morning and start selling it. You have to take time to learn those skill sets. And at what point in someone's life do you think they should be learning to sell? I, you know, I'm a big proponent. I, I want, I'm curious to see what you, what you say about this. I think there's a point in their life where they learn not to sell because as children, we're selling all the time. You know, you're, the, the, because all sales is, is asking questions and leading people down a path to get them to where you want them to go. And your children are the best in the world at that in the grocery store. Why can't I have this? Cause I said so. Well, why? Because I said so. But why? You know, and so, I mean, you know, kids are great at, it. we, we get out of that. Because people tell us at a young age, you know, you're asking too many questions. You know, stop telling your children that. Encourage them to ask questions. The more they learn about the world around them, the better they're going to be. And I think that, you know, at any point in life, you know, both of us are males, obviously. You you have some female listeners. But, you know, guys, I can tell you, uh, the first girl you ever asked out probably did not say yes to go out with you. But you didn't quit asking. And you didn't marry the first girl you went out with. You didn't close the deal there, so, but you didn't quit trying. So it, we're selling uh, at all times. We're selling ourselves. We're selling our ideas. We're selling our philosophies. But people sometimes, for some reason, think that there's this magical mystery world that salespeople go into where they get people to do something they don't want to do. And that's just not true. A professional salesperson only helps people achieve what they already want to achieve. Very true. I love that. I love that. Um, you know, we're both big fans, of, obviously, of Zig Ziglar. I see that you have sure. a quote from from uh, Tom on your book. Right. Um, you know, I, I I usually save this for the end, but I'm looking at that quote. And I, what's your favorite Zig Ziglar quote? Um, you can have anything in life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. Probably the one he's most famous for. And I think there's so much truth in that that if you go out into the world to give, 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 then the world will find a way to give back. I love that. You know, it, 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 it's true. And that's one of my favorite quotes. I, I live by that quote. Um, and we think that salespeople are take, take, take. But, uh, you know, obviously a professional uh, salesperson is a giver. Um, what, what, can you tell me a story of a person that you've worked with that didn't think they were a salesperson that became an awesome salesperson? Uh, well, yeah, I've got one, uh, that, uh, uh, was a young man that had come out of the mailroom at uh, the company that I, I worked at for 16 years. And he I don't know that he so much thought he wasn't a salesperson as that he just wasn't. He wanted to be. And he turned out uh, to be really just a sponge and soaked up information, soaked up knowledge, wanted to learn, wasn't afraid to fail. He would, you know, uh, charge into any situation and try it out turned out to be a phenomenal salesperson and division manager today he's an extremely successful businessman some 25 years later uh, owns a a chain of, of retail businesses and it, it goes to show you that that it can be learned but here's the thing that I'll tell you is in, in a successful salesperson there are three parts and they're not equal parts 25% of a successful salesperson is product knowledge and whether you're selling a tangible product or an intangible service, you can learn that. Your company will teach you that. They've got videos for you, manuals, whatever it is. You can find out how the product works and how to make it work for your customers. So that's 25% of a salesperson. The other 25% is sales skills, actually learning the skills it takes, asking questions, you know, developing relationships, uh, uncovering needs and wants, and, and uh, really helping that customer solve their problem. That, that's a skill. 
But again, those together are only 50%. I have this theory that the base 50% of a successful salesperson is what I call game. And you always hear, boy, he's on his game or she's got her game rocking. She has got game. And I think, in my opinion, game stands for goals, attitude, motivation, and education. And if you take someone that has got uh, that's very goal oriented, they've got a great attitude, they're motivated, they continually educate themselves, then they can learn the product knowledge and sales skills and they will be extremely successful. But now, Ian, you and I both know and we've seen people in our lives and our careers that were they knew their product backward and forward. They could sell rings around anybody else, but they had no goals. Their attitude was horrible. They weren't motivated and they thought they knew everything. So they failed to educate themselves and they failed miserably because without that base of game, without those goals, the attitude, the motivation, education, the other stuff doesn't matter. Very true. And so, you know, those are high level ideas. How do we put those into practice attaining those? I mean, do we just try and do all that all the time? Or, I mean, what, what's your philosophy on, on trying to attain that, that game? I think it's a daily struggle. I think it's something you have to wake up and work on daily. And it's just, again, another great Zig Ziglar quote. You know, they say that motivation doesn't last. Well, neither does bathing. That's why we recommend it daily. And I think that, you know, that's one of the things that people have to understand is that you're not going to walk in uh, one day, read a book, take a course, listen to an audio tape, listen to a podcast and become great at anything. If you truly want to want to achieve anything in life, it is a process. I'm reading a book right now called Mindset. And it's about having a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. And I think so many people that actually think they have a growth mindset have a fixed mindset. I know that in my life, there are certain places where I had a fixed mindset. And, for example, I don't play golf because I would get so frustrated at the game, it was a waste of my time. Well, I look back now and I see that as having a fixed mindset of convincing myself I would never be good at it. So I didn't push through uh, the times where it got hard. And if you will, uh, uh, in your professional life, your personal life, your spiritual journey, your financial journey, emotionally, whatever it is, if you'll push through those times when it gets hard and say, okay, now I'm growing, now I'm learning, now I'm getting somewhere, it's a totally different mindset and you will start to progress. I love, yeah, that's so true. It's a fantastic book. You're actually amazing like, book. Yeah. Carol Dweck is the author yep. of that. And, uh, it, it's very true. Um, Literally every single one of my guests brings up mindset. And it's funny because, you know, you were talking about the tactics, whereas it seems in every stage of marketing and sales, really mindset is, is, is the foundation. Um, if, is there one mindset that you're personally working on right now? Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, having a growth mindset. I, th- this book has been very convicting to me because I've, I, I have a speeches. I've got things I've written. You know, if you're as good as you're going to be, life's as good as it's going to get about continuing to learn and grow. And I think in, in business and in my career and in professionally, I've done that. But in some of the things, like I said, like golf and other things that I've seen where things have gotten hard for me. So it didn't come naturally and I pushed them aside. Uh, I think that's something we all have areas of our life we could get better in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of growth mindset, and you're saying you don't have one, but I, I see here that you're a professional stand up comedian for 10 years. So, right. it's, you know, that, yeah. that definitely, I know a few stand up comedians. Uh, 
actually a few good friends and related to me and are listening to this show. And I know they work their butt off and it's tough. It is. Uh, so I'm assuming you have a growth mindset. How did you become a stand-up comedian? Where t- Explain that to me. Like, Did you wake up one morning when I had a sales call? And you know what? This is pretty funny. I got to go talk about it. Um, well, almost. Uh, I, I've always been the guy. I was the uh, – my senior year in high school, I was voted wittiest. And it was like – to me, that was like an Emmy, an Oscar, uh, an Academy Award all rolled into one. Uh, I could have cared less about most athletic or most handsome, not that I would have had a chance in hell at e- either one of them, but <laughs> yeah, those didn't matter. I got wittiest and that's what I was after. And, and so I've always been that guy that, that, you know, gravitated towards the funny side of everything. I was the entertainer. I was the class clown, not necessarily in a mischievous way, but just in an entertaining way. In 1991, a, another couple and my wife and I were out at the comedy house in Little Rock, Arkansas. And it was a Sunday night and I'll make this short, but there was open mic night. And so, you know, we're rolling our eyes at some of the guys that are up there. And the other couple looked at me and said, you could do that. You're funny as those guys. And I said, well, let me see how you do this. So I went and asked the guy. He said, well, just come back next Sunday night and you get to do five minutes. And so I spent all week writing five minutes worth of material, went back the next Sunday night and just killed. And it was like a shot of heroin. I have never done hard drugs, but I can imagine what that's <laughs> like. Because that rush that you get, that adrenaline rush of being on stage and having the crowd accept what you're doing uh, was was phenomenal. And I had to have more of it. And within probably six months, I was headlining clubs. Uh, I know you're in Orlando. I've done the uh, the, the uh, comedy zone there on iDrive, the funny bone on iDrive. Uh, I don't know if it's still there. It's been 20 years ago. But um, So, it, you know, I've traveled all over doing that. I did it for 10 years. I never did it for a living. I always was a side hustle. But my my mentor, the the owner of the company, knew it. And he... He saw it as a way for me to get better at public speaking. So I started speaking at industry events and things like that. And so it really got those skills. You, you lose all of your fear of, of public speaking, microphones, and things like that. But the thing that I didn't know was it turned out to be some of the best sales training I ever had. And I only noticed that afterward. And it was in how to win over a crowd. Um, it, your buddies will tell you that are doing comedy. You know, people think – Oh, uh, you know, people are going out to a comedy club to have a good time. No, most of them are going out there. They've got their arms crossed. They're sitting in the front go- row going, okay, fat boy, make me laugh. <laughs> yeah. And they, they throw down this gauntlet of challenge, you know, and, and, and so it's, you know, you have this, you know, just a split second to win them over. And it's just like with a prospect. But the biggest thing that, that comedy taught me was voice inflection and how to use my voice as a tool and to uh, adjust the, the pacing and, and the tonality. And, you know, people a lot of times when, when they're asking for a sale, they want it to be so, so uh, smooth and, and, and effortless. But what you really need is, and I knew exactly what I was going to say right then, but you have to search for a word and, 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 and pause and uh, really, really make the prospect think he is thinking of this right in this moment. Because you want it planned, not canned. And the whole trick of comedy is for you to be very, very good at it, know exactly what you're going to say, but sell the audience on the idea that you just thought of it. Wow. So tell me, uh, I'm not going to ask you for your funniest joke, but tell me. Tell <laughs> I me. couldn't tell it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, can you tell me uh, one of your most interesting stories from, uh, from being a comedian? Um, 
Yeah, I uh, was uh, had had a, a booking agent that obviously didn't have the same map that everybody else did. He was at least one of those guys that call you. And, yeah, we got a Tuesday night in South Carolina and a Wednesday night in North Dakota. You know, you can get there early if you get, you know, if you if you can get there if you get up early. But I flew from Dallas to Albuquerque, New Mexico. I had a uh, run from Clovis, New Mexico, to uh, um, gosh, I mean, Farmington up in the corner of the state, Durango, Colorado, and it was just a circle up there. Well, I get into Albuquerque, and there's my. I went to rent the rental car to drive to Clovis, about two hours away. And my driver's license was expired. Couldn't rent the car. And it was just a, a literally one of those crazy trips to where everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Um, I spent a week on the road. I had to fly from Albuquerque into Clovis. They literally picked me up. I ran right into the club, did the show. I ride with the other comic. I pay for gas all week, you know, the, the rest of the trip. I get back to Dallas and I'm talking to my wife on like, literally this is back before everybody had a cell phone. I remember having a bag phone in my, my vehicle and I called her and I said, I think I've got $30 to the good on this trip after airline tickets and turning in a rent car. I mean, not having a rent car and then paying for gas and flying back at a different time and all this kind of good stuff. And I got to get my car out of parking. It was $40. I think I lost $10 on the whole trip. So <laughs> it was certainly not something you did for the money back then. Yeah, but the education must have been invaluable. Oh, it was a blast. It was an absolute blast. There's times I miss it, but there's there's times where I, uh, I'm, I'm so glad I did it, but it's not something I would do right now at this point in my life. So what uh, what are you doing right now at this point in your life? I see you wrote a book, Sales Management for Dummies. We talked about that for a second. Right. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I'm working with salespeople and organizations, uh, training and coaching, and obviously supporting the, the book and things like that are all part of that. The, I write like, like you, I, you know, I do a lot of public speaking and, and things like that to, to promote the business. Uh, the, the book came out last month, Sales Management for Dummies. Uh, my first book, The Ten Essential Habits of Sales Superstars was published in 2014. I self-published it and it was, Actually, it was number one on Amazon's list of sales books for one day in August of 2014. And it was just one day, but I got a picture of it on my phone, and I still have it. So uh, I got there, and I saved that little deal. That's but nice. I'm, I'm working with salespeople, helping them grow and, and uh, helping them uncover issues that a lot of times they know they have. They don't know how exactly to get around that particular issue. But we dig into it, and it's either one-on-one. Uh, I'm starting a, a sales mastermind group in January. People can go to my website at butchbella.com, B-U-T-C-H-B-E-L-L-A-H.com. And we're doing a sales superstar destination forward mastermind group where we'll meet once a week. And everybody always, for some reason, thinks in sales, well, I'm the only guy that has this problem. <laughs> And I can't tell you the number of salespeople that I talk to that have the exact same problem. And so it, it, what started out as a group coaching idea is going to turn into a mastermind where we just get together and we let, you know, we grow off of each other. And I tell people, Ian, that I go through life with the heart of a teacher and the mind of a student because I want to train and teach people. But in every situation, I, for, for some reason, and I think it's because I'm, I'm, I'm looking for it, I learn more than they do. And I, I always want to keep learning more and growing. And so I'm, re- I'm really looking forward to that kicking off in January. Wow, that's great. Yeah, Masterminds, we, uh, you know, past three episodes, everyone's mentioned Masterminds. And I think they're growing in popularity, but uh, they're immensely valuable, immensely Absolutely. valuable. 
And uh, I've never been to one where I didn't get something fantastic out of it. And ironically, the more I pay for it, the more I get out of it. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and you've probably had Aaron Walker on your show. I'm a part of his Iron Sharpers Iron Mastermind. Uh, and it's the highlight of my week. I look forward to it every week. Oh, great. Yeah, he's a, he's a great guy. Oh, and, phenomenal. And super smart guy. And, uh, yeah, we, he was on the show and, uh, we talked about the masterminds and, um, so, you know, I want to come back to the sales management okay. for dummies because I've, I've been in sales. I've never been technically a sales manager, but it, it is, you know, I think a lot of people think a good salesperson is a good sales manager. And I'm assuming that's not the case from what I've seen. Um, how, what does it take to be a good sales manager? Well, you're exactly right. First of all, the skill sets that it takes to be a salesperson and a good manager are totally separate. Um, there, one of the things I discovered when I started writing the book was that everybody thinks once you get to be sales manager, you've got it all figured out. And that's when my biggest learning curve took place. And I think that the skills that it takes to be a good manager obviously are empathy, but you've got to be able to separate yourself from the situation and understand that you have sales in your title. So yes, you do have to keep uh, the numbers coming in. You have to keep the people in the field or on the sales floor happy. But you've got manager in your title, so you have to keep the corner office happy. You know, pay attention to the bottom line. So the the things that you do as a sales manager are totally different than the things you do as a salesperson. One of the biggest um, problems I see in some businesses is they'll take their best salesperson, make him the manager. And it, it kills both careers. He, he, he's lost as a salesperson. He's not producing there and he wasn't ready for management. Some of the best sales managers I've ever seen were not great salespeople, but they were great people managers. And that's really the skill sets you need. Yeah. It's, it's like the difference between a great coach and a great player. Exactly. Well, you're exactly right. You, you look at, uh, uh, the Harbaugh brothers. They weren't great in the NFL, but they turned out to be great coaches. Yes. True. True. So. You know, a lot of people listening to this are not technically in sales. Um, you know, they're not, their card doesn't say sales manager. But I have a feeling that a lot of people, especially like I look at the nonprofit space and, you know, managing a bunch of people doing fundraising where technically you're a sales manager. What would you say to someone like that, that you know, is, is help, you know, has 20, 30 people uh, that's going out and doing some fundraising for them? Or even, you know, a bunch of volunteers. What would you say would be critical for them to improve their fundraising skills? Well, first of all, I think everybody is a sales manager in one form or another. And the, in, in the book, we talk about everything from uh, hiring and firing to creating compensation plans. But it, to, to your point, to keeping your staff motivated. Uh, there's a whole whole section of the book on motivation and inspiration. And when I go speak, sometimes everybody says he's a motivational speaker. Well, no, I'm not. I can't motivate another person to do anything. That has to come from within. I can inspire them, but you have to create an environment where people are motivated, where people enjoy coming to work, where they want to be part of something. They can see the the greater good. They can they, they get to see the fruits of their labors. Uh, as a manager, if you, I don't care what your title says. If you have other people working with you, uh, I would challenge you to create an environment where people can see results. And, uh, my mentor, and this probably came from a book. I don't know which book to give credit, but, um, he used to call it bowling behind a curtain. And if you think about 
what we do sometimes with our employees and the people that answer to us, we're asking them to bowl behind a curtain. And by that I mean you envision somebody bowling, but you put a curtain up in front of the pins, and you ask them to roll the ball down there, it goes through the curtain, and they hear the pins fall, but they don't know the results. And then you as a manager look behind there and say, okay, move a little to your left. That's what we're doing to people. We're not letting them see what we're not letting them see the results of their actions and see how they can improve. And they're going to get tired of that game real quick. You know, pull the curtain back, let people see, encourage them to want to see. People sometimes are afraid to share some of the financial numbers with their salespeople. Guess what? I don't want to be the only one worrying about that. Let let them see because I promise you what they're thinking you're making is a lot more than you're actually making. So let let them see a lot of that stuff. I love that. I love that. It's it's uh, and so try running businesses so often that don't want to talk numbers. Yeah. And and I'm like, well, how can you know as a marketing agency, I'm like, how can I help you improve if I don't know your numbers? You're and not- it's not. And I guarantee you, what people think is a lot better than it is. Exactly. Exactly. So you know, if I've never done this before, I've never shared my numbers before. Um, I think this is a great tip for someone to take away because it's it's so important to to pull back that curtain and let people look at the pins, uh, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, how would you? What would you suggest as a first step to doing something like that, or an ongoing step? E- ease them into it. We used to in the, in the company that I, I grew up in and ended up being a, a part of the acquisition. We we grew that thing from $35 million a year in sales to a quarter of a billion a year over about a 15, 16-year period. And we would look at the financial statement every month. And it was something that we as a, a management group looked at. But then as a sales manager, my job was to go to the sales team and talk about gross profit. Because your sales force can affect gross profit. They're not going to affect a lot of times the net profit because they can't affect all the expenses of the other parts of the company. Here's the problem I see too many managers or, or business owners doing. They're asking everybody to push a boulder up a hill. What you need to do is give everybody, break that boulder up into bite-sized rocks that everybody can say, okay, I'm going to take my rock and I'm going to meet you at the top of the hill instead of having everybody try to push one boulder up. So what do I mean by that? Everybody, take your financial statement and figure out which part of it every department can impact. Sales, obviously, is going to be top-line revenue. Production, purchasing, whatever it is, could be bottom-line expenses, cost of goods, whatever it is that you do. So let everybody look at maybe that specific number. You don't have to put everything together for everybody and let them you know, see you completely naked if that bothers you. I don't know why it would. Um, but if it does, let them look at the part they can affect and challenge them and give them a reason to improve it. If you improve every little piece of your, your financial statement just by fractions of a percent, that just rolls downhill into some huge numbers. That's true. That's true. Yeah. We try and do that too. And I think that's an important thing. It's like we just, and if you're at the top of the company, it's easy to say, Hey, we need to get this big number to the top where, Instead of just breaking up that number, like you said, into little rocks that someone can right. carry you, up. You, you go in there and you've got this huge goal that everybody goes, <laughs> yeah, good luck to that, buddy. <laughs> but if you if you break it up into, okay, uh, marketing, I want you to do this. Sales, I want you to do this. Purchasing, you got to get our cost of goods down to this. Production, you know, your overtime is running here. I need it here. Give it, let everybody work on the part they can work on. Awesome. 
Um, so uh, since I do have some comedians right. uh, uh, listening to the show, tell me how, as a salesperson, you got more comedy gigs using your sales techniques. Uh, you, you, well, you obviously had to, had to be selling yourself, but the prospecting, because as a comedian, um, you, sometimes you have a booking agent, but when the, you know, when I was doing it, most of the clubs had the agent, meaning that if you wanted to work this club in Columbia, Missouri, you went through this agent. If you wanted to work this club in St. Louis, you went through that agent. This guy in Dallas handled these four clubs. So you had to be on the phone constantly or you weren't going to work. So you could not sit back and expect comedy clubs to call you. You had to be sending out press kits, the video cassette days, uh, the headshots. You had to be following up with phone calls and booking yourself six, seven, eight months in, in advance, or you were going to sit home and not do anything. And so it was so important to keep that pipeline full um, and, and keep plugging yourself in and keeping yourself relevant in certain areas. And the thing about a comedian is, um, you know, the Rolling Stones have, have been around for 50 years singing the same songs and people still want to hear them. As a comedian, if you go back to the same club six months later, you better have new material because a joke is not like a song. Uh, unfortunately, a comic, especially, you know, Steve Martin back in the seventies was the one that, you know, Steve Martin was a phenomenal stand up and he quit doing it because he got so big from his albums that people were shouting his his punchlines out before he got to them and destroying his act. Well, he couldn't keep up with writing new material fast enough to satisfy everybody. And so it's it's a constant battle to continue reinventing yourself and keep something fresh. So you got to keep yourself busy and then you got to keep fresh material coming at people. Wow. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of work. I'm not going to be a comedian. But <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. I've got a, just a couple more questions for sure, you. Sure, go ahead. Um, what's the, your favorite book of all time? Um, favorite business book, I would probably say, is How I Raised Myself from Failure to Success Through Selling by Frank Bedger. And that's probably not one that a lot of your guests have listed, but it's a phenomenal book written back in the 40s or 50s. And I'll go ahead and warn the audience that it's still in that vernacular. You, you get It's never been updated, or at least the copies I've got have not been updated. But I've given away probably 20 copies of that book to young salespeople because it's such a, a motivating story of, of literally how he built his sales career. And it's called How I Raised Myself from Failure to Success in Selling by Frank Bedger. Awesome. And besides your Zig Ziglar quotes, because I, I, I love them too, uh, do you have another favorite quote? Yeah, and it's one I use a lot when I speak. Um, Mother Teresa has a quote that says, I alone cannot change the world, but I can cast a stone across the water to create many ripples. And I really believe that's what I was put on this earth to do, Ian, was to create some ripples. And I don't necessarily think that I'm supposed to know how they all turn out. I don't necessarily think I'm supposed to see the the complete end result of all of them. But... I think that's what I was supposed to do is create ripples. And uh, I, I, when I speak, I've got a speech that I give that it's called Don't Worry About Changing the World, Change Your World. And too many times we get caught up on focusing on the things that we can't do rather than the things we can do. And so that's that's one that I really, really like. I love it. Yeah, that's well, that's a great way for us to end this interview because 
fantastic advice. Butch, thank you so much. Ian, let me do this for your listeners before we get out of here, sure. too. If you will go to butchbella.com slash Dow of Inbound, they can get a free copy of my first book, The Ten Essential Habits of Sales Superstars. Uh, they can just download it there, just butchbella, B-U-T-C-H-B-E-L-L-A-H.com slash Dow of Inbound, and they can just download themselves a free copy of that book, my gift to your listeners. That is very generous of you, Butch. Thank you so much. I'm sure... Hopefully, some of the comedians will, will download. Yeah, there that. you go. Yeah. <laughs> you know who needs to download are the people not in sales. You know. Oh, you, absolutely. Those are the people that really need this because it will change. Being a good salesperson will change your life. Absolutely. Uh, um, well, Butch, thank you very much. I, Ian, I, thank you. I look forward to hearing about your next run. All right. Um, and uh, you have a great day. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Thanks so much. 